Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Today, we're continuing our series, uh, looking at the life of David, a broken and contrite heart, looking at the second half of David's story. And we're going to be looking at a story where David wants to do something good for God. He has an idea. He's like, God, this is what we are going to do. Um, but we're going to learn also that David doesn't get his way. He doesn't, he doesn't get this good thing that he wants to do for God. But what we're going to see is that even though David doesn't get his way, that God still works something incredible out of this mo- moment. And we actually are going to see something beautiful and kind of like an important moment, not only in David's life, David's story, but in the story of Scripture as well. And so we're going to just jump into it. Is that all right? Okay. Uh, I'm going to invite Cheryl up, who's going to read today's passage for us from 2 Samuel. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies... The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus shall... Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you that the Lord will make you a house. Wait, (laughs) sorry. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lay down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. 
In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Thank you. I appreciate that. I had 17 verses to read, so I passed that task along, and it was good to hear from you. So thank you for reading for us, Cheryl. So just a brief recap of what we read and just uh, where this kind of story comes from is in chapter 6, what we see is as, as David steps in and becomes king of Israel, king of Judah, he actually uh, has this kind of like symbolic, he, he participates in the symbolic act of moving the Ark of the Covenant, which was the, the religious center of Israel's worship, which had up until that point kind of existed in tents and it had moved from city to city and it had never resided kind of in, in one place permanently. And David wants to bring this ark to Jerusalem, which he's setting up as the political center of this new regime. And we also kind of see that David wants to make Jerusalem kind of the religious center of Israel as well. And so this is kind of what is leading up to the story. And where we land in chapter 7, in these first few verses, is David has a reflection on what's going on with Nathan, who we're told is prophet. And he says, you know, Nathan, I'm living in this house, this really nice house. It's made of cedar. Um, all of these ex expensive things are around me. God should have a nice house too. Um, and Nathan is a prophet who's kind of introduced as a character in this story. We're going to see he has kind of a pivotal role in David's life later on in this kind of second half of David's life. Even uh, next week, we're going to kind of learn about this as well. David before, who is a, who is a prophet that uh, David consulted with prior to Nathan? Does anyone remember? Samuel, yes. A plus. A plus student. So uh, Samuel has died, and so he now has, an, there's apparently now a new prophet who David is consulting with, and he, he shares his idea. He said, you know what? I want to build a temple for the ark. Like, I want to do this thing for God. And Nathan's reply, and I, th I think Nathan is here kind of learning a little bit how to be a prophet, because at this point in the story, Nathan's kind of just like a yes man to the king. He's like, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. You're a good guy, David. You have a good heart. God is with you. Go ahead and do it. So that's Nathan's first response, except we learn very quickly that this isn't God's idea, that God actually has other plans for David. And uh, so Nathan hears from God afterwards, and he says, you know what, Nathan, that's, that's not what I want. I don't want a temple. I'm kind of okay. I'm good with a tent. I never asked for a temple. I never asked for a house. And then God rehearses what he has done for David. So David starts by wanting to do something for God. And Nathan's like, sure, that's okay. Um, it's not what God wants. But God then rehearses for David what he has done. And so this is the emphasis of what God's word is to David. The emphasis is where you are, where you found yourself now as king is a direct result of God's graciousness 
towards David. And so God says, I took you when you were just a shepherd and I made you a prince. I caused you to be victorious in battle. I made your name known. I established a a place for my people to be safe. And so God, uh, what we're seeing here in this passage is God is teaching David how to discern his will how to discern his will, because David has an idea, but what we learn is that David's idea isn't God's idea, and so he's still learning how to discern God's will. Anyone else in the room still learning to discern God's will? Yes, yeah, it can be a tricky, difficult, complicated thing to do right, and David has here in this story what I believe is a mostly well-intentioned idea. Like, God, I want to build you a house. Like, I'm living in this house. This is a nice house. God, you should have a house. Would you agree it's not a bad idea, right? And and, and while I say it's, like, mostly well-intentioned, I think there's an element here, and this is kind of a theme throughout David's life where we see David's faithfulness to God, but we also see in, in many ways David is still being formed in his godliness, right? And so I I think there's a little bit here of uh, David looking to benefit from moving the ark to Jerusalem to kind of get that, like, political, the the clout that comes with kind of moving this really important, uh, uh, the ark, right? The ark, this really important uh, piece that was uh, represented the presence of God into where he was establishing the political center of his new regime, right? I think there's this element here of like, David's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna benefit from this. He's looking to legitimize his authority. But for the most part, I think David's idea here is not a bad idea. Like, God, let's build a house for you. Um, God, I have this nice house. You should have this nice house too. The problem is, we learn it's not God's idea. And this can be like a difficult lesson to learn. Has anyone else found themselves in a situation where they had an idea, especially if it's an idea that you think is in service of God and it doesn't turn out well? And you learn that perhaps my idea wasn't God's idea. Can I tell you a funny story? Uh, in, in Bible college, I went to Bible college where I studied theology, and uh, some friends and I were gathering in one of our dorm rooms to pray, and we were praying for revival. We were praying that God would be made known, Jesus and his goodness would be made known to people who didn't know Jesus. Good thing to pray for, anyone? It's a good thing to pray for, right? And as we were praying, it was kind of like, we were like, yes, God, praying for revival, And we came up with this idea. We were like, you know what we should do? Um, Let's not just pray for revival. Let's, like, make revival happen. And so we got this idea to go to the subway, essentially, like, the metros in in, uh, Portland. I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time. So the Max. Anyone been on the Max in Portland? Oh, a few of you have been on the Max in Portland. Cool. So you can imagine this a little bit. But we went to the Max in Portland, and we are like, you know what? We're going to share the gospel. We didn't really have a plan. We just kind of had this idea, like, we're going to do this good thing for God. And and I remember standing kind of in the middle of, like, one of the subway cars and 
trying to get everyone's attention, just like projecting my voice like, excuse me, everyone. And I, 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 I kind of wanted to share God's love, God's gospel, and everyone looked at me completely terrified, like, um, like th- this subway car is going to get hijacked, right? And so immediately, everything was derailed. Um, and uh, just to let you all know, revival didn't break out in Portland that day. It failed, failed miserably, right? And so had this idea, not a bad idea, right? A mostly well-intentioned idea through the kind of like the fruit of it, though, um, not really God's idea. I don't think that was God's idea for us that day. And, and I heard something several years later during a lecture from a, a professor at Regent Seminary in Vancouver, uh, Canada, uh, Daryl Johnson, that challenged my thinking, part of my thinking that maybe inspired that idea that way. And he gave a definition, uh, this definition of evangelism while teaching uh, his class on the Gospel of John. He said this, evangelism is listening in on a conversation the spirit is having with another human being and speaking only if invited by the spirit or by that other human being. Good, right? Good stuff. So I, I, I thought in my naivete, if, if I was well-intentioned, if it was not a bad idea that God would bless it, that's not entirely true. And I kind of learned that in an awkward way of like getting up in a subway car and, and trying to share the gospel in kind of an aggressive way, not like a you're going to hell kind of aggressive way, but just in a you kind of freaked me out way. Um, it's going to be an awkward, difficult lesson to learn that not all ideas, even if good or at least well-intentioned, are God's ideas, especially if we view our ideas as in the service of God, right? Like, if, if we're doing this for you, God, you should bless it. Um, so how does David learn in this story to discern his idea from God's idea? I don't have a billion slides for you today because... Uh, Sometimes your points aren't good enough for slides, but if you find these points helpful, you can write them down, okay? (laughs) How does David learn to discern his idea from God's idea? The first thing he does is he seeks wise counsel. So Adam preached on this a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here on this point um, you can list, because you can listen to that on the podcast if you mi- missed it. But we see David consults with the prophet Nathan. But there's a, something that happens here in this is Nathan doesn't consult with God before giving his reply to David. I think Nathan's kind of in some ways still learning how to be a prophet, right? We already talked about he's kind of like just a, a yes man here to David. Like, David, you're a good guy. But later, Nathan gets a word and he, rever- he reverses course. And he says, you know, actually, God didn't think that. That's not God's idea, David. So this is the word from God. So Nathan later gets that word from God. So the first thing, um, the first way that David learns to discern his idea from God's idea is he seeks wise counsel. So go and listen to Adam's sermon on that. The second thing we see is that David's focus 
is shifted from what he can do and wants to do for God to what God has done for him and what God will do. God's reply is what? It's, you want to do this for me, David, but remember that you are where you are because of what I have done. Furthermore, what's to come, the future, and your hope for the future, it comes from what I will do for you. You want to build me a house? I'm going to build you a house, is essentially God's reply. Now, how can this be integrated in our lives? I actually think that this is why reflection, journaling, meditation, they can be such a helpful tool in our spiritual formation because when we reflect on what God has done, we notice how God works and we can be attentive to the way that God is at work in the present. When we shift our focus from ourselves, our ideas, and reflect on what God has done, we're, we're calibrating our ability to discern. Um, and so the act of reflection um, and journaling can actually become a process of calibrating our hearts to begin to discern what God is doing. Um, one of my other jobs, other than being a pastor here at Church at the Well, is I work in coffee. And one of my roles is I source and contract coffee. And when you're looking for coffees to buy from small farms or small farming communities, you are normally found in a context where you're tasting with other folks who are kind of professional coffee tasters as well. And you're evaluating um, not just if the coffee is good or not, but certain elements of the coffee and whether or not um, you're going to buy it. And so typically you, you would taste with um, folks who are a part of like the, the farming community that you're buying from or an export group or an import group. And you, you incorporate this practice of calibration into that process of tasting. And that, that process essentially looks like this. As you have coffees that you taste through, um, you're tasting them blind and you're taking notes and if you're being really nerdy, you're using like an official form where you can kind of evaluate different sensory aspects of the coffee. You guys here still here with me? This is really kind of boring, nerdy stuff, but uh, you so see you're, you're evaluating, you're taking notes and, and there's actually like a legitimate process and form to do that. And then you go through the process with the other folks in the room of, of calibration. And what that means is essentially you begin to, and it can kind of be scary to do because what you do is you share your notes, what your sensory evaluation was, how you scored that particular cup of coffee, etc., without knowing how anyone else felt about that. And so everyone goes around the room and you quickly realize as a group if you are calibrated or not. And to be calibrated is essentially to be as close as possible to kind of like in a, an objective sensory evaluation of the coffee. And so five people all score the, the coffee this way and have a similar sensory experience, but one person is not. That one person is not calibrated, right? And so you then maybe go back and taste that coffee and say, where did I get where, where did I miss 
the mark? Where was I off when everyone else kind of had the same experience? Reflection, um, journaling are a calibration exercise for our souls, for our spirits. So sometimes when you're trying to discern God's will, when you're trying to figure out what to do, how to move forward, what can often be the most helpful is to look back and reflect. So to ask the question, how has God provided for me? How has he provided for me? How has God been with me? Specifically, are there any moments that I can look to reflect upon when God was with me, when God had provided for me, but I didn't notice it at the time? when I wasn't aware of it, when I failed to notice it. So if we can ask those questions, it's a calibration in a sense of exercising our hearts to discern God's will, tuning our hearts, right? Um, so we have David Seek's wife's counsel. He shifts his focus from what he can do for God to what God has done and will do. And uh, lastly, we see that David surrenders his will to God's will. So God says no to David's idea to build a temple. And we're told a few reasons here in this passage. First reason God gives is, David, I never asked for one. This is not something I asked for. I'm okay with tent. God's, God's a little more rugged than, like, we've, we value comfort, and, and, but God's a little bit more like wild, right? Um, the, the other reason we're given is this is David's idea, not God's idea. So it's possible for us to come up with good ideas or well-intentioned ideas. But the question is, is, is it God's idea? Because God anoints his ideas. He doesn't always anoint our ideas. Um, there's a few more reasons, uh, and you can write down some scripture verses for these if you want to go and read these later on. But we're told in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 8, 1 Chronicles 22, verse 8, and 1 Chronicles 28, verse 3, that David was a man of war, and he had shed much blood, and God didn't want a temple that was essentially going to be a war museum. Um, because this was something that was actually common in the ancient Near East, was um, kind of a, a religious artifact or would be moved at, and kind of as a, as a symbol of victories over one's enemy into uh, like a conquered city. Um, and so God didn't want his temple to be a war museum. Um, David was a man of war and had shed much blood. So we, we see that Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart, but far from perfect, right? So much so that God's like, yeah, you're not, you're not the man for this job, David. There's also the timing reason. Perhaps it just wasn't time yet. First uh, Kings 5, verse 3 through 4, this is the account of, of Solomon building the temple. And, and one of the reasons we're told that Solomon was allowed to build a temple was because the wars were over and the city walls had been reinforced. And so there's also this idea of, you know what, it just wasn't the time for it. Regardless of why David was given a no, he has to learn how to surrender his will to God's will. 
Oftentimes, God's will is wilder and less domesticated than we'd like it to be. God's cool with tent, the tent, you know? God's cool with the tabernacle. Um, any uh, C.S. Lewis fans here? In, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, this is not, you're not allowed to be a preacher if you don't quote C.S. Lewis or Tolkien at some point, right? Um, <laughs> there's this dialogue between Susan and Lucy and Mr. Beaver, and saying Mr. Beaver during a sermon is kind of a funny thing, but uh, Susan's asking about Aslan, the king. They haven't met him yet. And L- Lucy asks Mr. Beaver, is Aslan a safe lion? Is he safe? This is Mr. Beaver's response. Safe? I'm not going to do it in the beaver voice, but (laughs) if someone wants to, you can come up here and read from it, I promise. Any takers? No. Okay. Safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Uh, We can surrender our will to God's will in fearful reverence because we can be sure of his goodness. I think that's why scripture speaks about the fear of God, um, because the, whatever we are afraid of dictates the boundaries of our lives. And if what we fear, whom we fear, at their core is good, because God is good, right, Luann? Preach that, right? Um, then our, the boundaries of our lives are, f- are found in God's goodness. So, um, where were we? Surrendering to God's will. So as we think about God's goodness, we think about David's response as well to this word. So this story provides an opportunity for David to learn how to discern God's will. And we can take those three things and kind of integrate them, apply them to our lives however, however we see fit, seek wise counsel, um, shift our focus from what we want from ourselves to what God has done and what God is doing, and then also just surrendering, surrendering our will to God's will. But it's important to also notice how God responds here, because David gets a no. He essentially gets a no, from God. He's like, God, I have this idea, and he gets a no. We've gone over why, but God's no also comes with a graciousness attached to it and a blessing as well. God attaches a blessing to his no. Isn't that interesting? Um, and so we could actually probably spend several weeks talking about the blessing that's attached to this no, because what we see is that God actually makes a promise to David that he's going to be with him, that he's not going to withdraw his presence. And he says, you want to build me a home? You know what? That's a no, David. But here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to build you a home, David, a place where not only you can rest, but where my people can rest. And we see um, essentially God make a covenant. God make a promise to David. And I wish I could preach on this for several weeks, um, because not only is God's plan not David's plan, but it's a much better plan 
than what David could have imagined. And that's really uh, important for us to uh, kind of center on when we look at this text. God promises David a house. Um, This word house could actually be translated as um, like a legacy or a dynasty. And so we're actually going to see that God makes a promise to David's offspring and actually foreshadowing the coming of Jesus as well, who came from the line of David, where we see God's promises find their ultimate fulfillment. The hope of God find their ultimate fulfillment. It's from this passage that we learn that the hope of Israel is going to come from the line of David. This is like a really important moment in scripture. Um, We see messianic, messianic promise here. Um, And so some of this future hope is fulfilled later on with like Solomon, right? Where Solomon builds the temple in this place in Jerusalem. But I actually think this is looking forward more to Jesus who comes to Jerusalem who said, I will destroy this temple and rebuild this temple in three days, speaking speaking of his body and the work of, of restoration, reconciliation, redemption through Jesus. This hope finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So when David receives this good news from God, it's a no, but it's also good news. Would you agree? So David gets a no. When he receives this good news message, how does he respond? If you're the continue reading, he responds in prayer and in praise. And so it's important, we can take some things from this text, we learn to discern God's will, we can go over those three things, but there's a time, there comes a time when the appropriate response is simply prayer and praise. And so the rest of 2 Samuel is just David doing that. So we're not going to read it all, but just listen in on a few of those verses here. Verse 20, and what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And so this is how David responds. Um, It can be a difficult lesson to learn that perhaps our idea is not God's idea. And we sang a lyric earlier today that was uh, on the screen. I think it said, like, God, you are never late. Um, How many of you feel like sometimes God's late? Like you found yourself in a moment and you're like, I don't see God at work here in this space. Um, That's okay. It's okay to feel that way. And and I found myself in those spaces many times just discerning God's will. Um, But if we were to create space in our hearts, in our lives, where we can find moments to open our heart to the possibility that perhaps our idea, however good we might think it is, or however well-intentioned, is not God's idea, but that what God has in store for us is good. Um, I think that can be something um, powerful and changing for us. Can I share one more story? Um, 
So uh, several years ago now, think about nine years ago now, Luann and I were faced with a situation where um, we were having discussions about whether we could and would um, adopt our now daughter, Anaya, Grace, Bailey, and uh, we were having discussions, just kind of discerning amongst ourselves um, whether that was the right decision for us. And um, I, my initial response to that situation was like, we can't do that. We're not ready for that. We, we are, our relationship isn't ready for that. We don't have the resources. We're not ready to be uh, parents. And we had this kind of moment early on in that discernment process where um, Anaya was living with us at the time prior to her adoption. And uh, I'll never forget this moment. Um, but she was in the other room, and she was singing. She's two. She was singing Amazing Grace. Um, and I just kind of, like, was in the other room and, like, leaning against the wall, listening in. And it's not often where I've felt very clearly God's Spirit speaking to me. But in that moment, I felt very clearly God speak to me. And he said, she's your grace. She's my gift to you. And I knew in that moment as I was discerning God's will, and Luann and I were discerning God's will for our family, that I knew in that moment that God was inviting us to go through with the process of adoption. I knew that it wasn't even a question of us doing a good thing for her or us doing a good thing for God. It was God doing a good thing for us. And so if you are finding yourself in a situation where you're in that difficult place, learning to discern God's will for you, I can assure you that whatever it is, it is good and God is with you in that. And you might not see it now. And you might be faced with an impossible task of hearing God and seeing God in that place. Um, but in some ways, I believe that whatever that is, is a grace towards you, is a goodness towards you. And we have that hope, and we can rest in the hope because we can see and look to a God who has been good, right? And so we have those stories, right? And if you don't have that story, we have the story of Jesus, the one who laid his life down for us, the ultimate act of goodness. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here in this room God, we take our ideas and we bring them to you with open hands. And we surrender our will to your will, God. We might not see how you are at work in our lives. We might not feel your presence here in this moment, God. But we declare in faith, um, the same way David declared in faith over and over again, God, that you are good, 
that you are with us, that you are for us, God. And so we stand on that promise. We stand on the solid rock of the ho- in the hope of Jesus, God, and, and we believe in your word, God. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are carrying that weight, who are carrying that burden, and it sometimes feels like a burden they can't carry, God, and that's true. They can't carry it, um, but your spirit carries them, and so I pray that you would make yourself known to them in whatever they're walking through, God, um, that you would lift them up, that you would care for them, God, that you would be with them. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that that can be the one thing that we um, declare today. God, you are good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church of the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.